There's a popular saying that goes, love makes the world go round. I'm sure you've heard of it. The Beatles sang a very popular song where only fools fall in love and my all-time favorite, all is fair in love and war. For as long as humans have been alive, we've been trying to uncover the many facets of love and connection. And the more we try to understand it, the more confused and lost we feel. I know at least that's the case for me. My name is Kate Berlin, and as far back as I can remember, I have been fascinated by love, the whole spectrum of love. But I am by all means not an expert. I have been spending my whole life as a hopeless romantic, searching for love in all the wrong places. Some days I feel I get it, then the next it all seems so out of reach. My spiritual journey brought me to A Course in Miracles, and the definition of love as the only thing that is real speaks to my soul. In this podcast series, I am seeking to uncover all the ways love exists, and I want to take you with me as we experience how love makes the world go round. Hey guys, welcome to the second episode of Love Makes the World Go Round with Kate Berlin. It's me! (laughs) So I thought long and hard about what to talk about this episode and I figured it would be really great to talk about my experience with heartbreak. I mean, let's just lay it all out on the table, right? Uh, That way you guys get to know me, you get to know what I'm about, and it's just all out, right off the door. (laughs) So as I've mentioned in my first episode, for as long as I can remember, I have been absolutely obsessed with men, guys, boys, and their validation of me. I can't remember a time in my mind where I wasn't thinking about a relationship I'm in, a relationship I'm pursuing, or a relationship that just ended. And right now, I am entirely in the thick of a recent relationship that just ended. Uh, It was a five-year relationship. We were engaged, blah, 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 blah. Um, And let's just keep it at, my head is spinning. But before I get ahead of myself, in this episode, I wanted to give you guys a snapshot of my experience with breakups, hoping that it doesn't deter any of my future love interests because I'm swearing I'm not crazy. (laughs) But we'll also talk a little bit about attachment theory, what it is and how it transfers in romantic relationships. I'll share with you the sense of shame and failure I experience each time a relationship ends for me um, in the hopes that somewhere out there, if someone is in a similar situation as me, they feel less alone. And finally, I'll talk about why I'm choosing to take a year off the dating game and why I'm choosing to become celibate for a year. So sit back, relax, and hopefully don't fall asleep. Okay, so let's start by telling you about my first experience with heartbreak. Ah, my first breakup. I want to say I was 14, 15 years old. Uh, It was your very typical first relationship. You know, when you enter your first relationship, you're just super excited. You can't believe you're actually dating someone. You no longer feel like a kid. For me, having a boyfriend was a big deal. I felt like I was the last one of my friends to get a boyfriend. And for somebody to like choose me and say, yes, you, you know, like, I want you to be my girlfriend. It was it was a big deal. I was I was so excited. And so you know, he would come over, we'd kiss, make out, have conversations, the whole deal, the everything you do when you're 14, 15 years old and you're in your first relationships, very sweet, very puppy love. Um he was very attentive. I felt pursued and I liked the attention. He was funny. 
And so one day we, I went on a camping trip with my family and the intention that he was going to come join us very last minute, he couldn't make it. Cell phones were already a thing back then, um, but where I was going, I wouldn't have any cell phone reception. So for my 14-year-old brain, you have to imagine this four-day trip was actually going to be torture because no reception, wasn't be able to talk to my boyfriend. The whole four days, I couldn't wait to get back to civilization and most importantly, cell phone reception. So when the trip was finally over, the first thing I did was call him. And I remember getting him on the phone. He seemed excited for me to be back and everything seemed okay. Until I called him back when I was home and no answer. No answer. That was the last time I heard from him. (laughs) I was so devastated. I was so devastated. I was just like, what happened? And to this day, I still have no idea. Um, just He just fell off the face of the earth. He ghosted me forever. <laughs> he ghosted me forever. Um, no one knew. None of his friends would tell me. Um, all of them just said, you know, I don't know. You should try to talk to him. And I, I do remember one of, one of our mutual friends brought me over to talk to him. And the only thing that came out of the conversation was him telling me, you know, Kate, I do love you. And I'm sorry. That was it. And never, never heard from him ever again. I don't, I don't know where he is, what happened to him. He just disappeared. And so I absolutely feel like this experience of my first breakup set the tone for what is called in attachment theory, an anxious attachment style. So the theory of attachment is becoming more and more popular in the dynamic of children and parents. So not too long ago, maybe you can even remember, there was this belief, and some people actually still believe it, that holding and nurturing a baby too much too early would set them up for failure, that you were spoiling them, that you were going to raise them to be very dependent and needy and forever just spoiled. And so after some research by a psychologist named John Bowlby, this new theory emerged that actually said, you know, mm, no, kids actually need initial love and security, that if they don't receive that through nurture and touch, they'll grow up being super attached, super anxious, and super needy. So the idea is that if you give that child this initial nurturing, this initial touch this skin to skin contact they will actually become more independent they will become more secure than babies that aren't held that don't have that skin to skin contact that are left to basically cry it out so this new theory um, based on the research of john bowlby is now becoming more and more accepted by the general public And for the most part, a lot of us agree. We're like, okay, we got it. Kids need that initial nurturing, whatever. You know, you do what you do. And so since we are by nature programmed to be dependent on another, once we leave the nest or our home, so to speak, we seek that attention in a partner. We seek that attachment in a partner. And so based on whatever past experience you've had, you can fall in three categories. And the categories are secure attachment style, anxious attachment style, and avoidant attachment style. And so by all means, guys, I am not a psychologist. This is just stuff that I've picked up from reading books, from talking to my therapist, from figuring out my own healing. So secure attachment is secure. 
These are the people that have no problem entering a relationship. They have no problem maintaining a relationship. I mean, they got that shit down. They're good. They're not in therapy trying to figure out their relationships, right? These are people that you see and you're just like, they got it. They got it. I mean, they fight. They have arguments. But for the most part, solid. And then you have your anxious attachment style. Um, Those are people like myself. And so people like me, people that have an anxious attachment style, they hold the core belief that they're going to be abandoned, that they're going to be left, that people always leave kind of thing. And so remember my first boyfriend and how he basically disappeared. So I might have been a completely secure person if it wasn't for my first very traumatic experience of love. So anyways, so this fear of abandonment that people with an anxious attachment style hold creates behavior where they behave, where they act or where they are anxious in intimate relationships they need a lot of reassurance to know that they are safe to feel like they can settle in that they can open up and so then you have the avoidant attachment style and so avoidant attachment style people aka all the men that i have dated in the past (laughs) hold this core belief system that a relationship will strip them of their freedom that a relationship will smother them and then they're basically commitment phobes they're the they're the emotionally unavailable men and women and so the thing about both anxious attachment style people and avoidant attachment style people is that they actually crave this intimate relationship they want to be in relationship with another they have this deep sense of belonging that they want to be a part of the only thing is that in order to feed this belief system that they have they actually tend to attract each other so for anxious attachment style people me being in a relationship with someone that avoids intimacy depth and commitment it feeds my belief that oh my god i am going to be abandoned (laughs) And for avoidant attachment style people, it's the same. The anxious person constantly seeking approval and needs to be told that, you know, they're okay. They actually feed their belief system that they're going to get smothered. And so it's a vicious cycle and neither one of them can break free from it unless they are both willing to do the work. So fast forward to my last relationship and without giving away too much detail, just because I am still in the middle of it and I am still healing from it, um, it feels exactly like the same scenario I had with the same experience I had with my first boyfriend. So my last relationship and my first relationship ended basically exactly the same, except There seemed to be a lot more at stake this time around. I mean, I'm not 15 years old anymore. I'm 29. I felt like I, you know, healed certain parts of myself and we're adults. So there is just a lot there. Just It just felt like there was a lot more at stake. And one day I'll go into more detail and maybe open up a little bit about it, but not today. So let's just keep it at I'm sitting here head scratching because same, right? Same, same, but different. (laughs) So needless to say, I am devastated. I'm absolutely confused. I'm terrified, but mostly I'm ashamed. 
I wasn't ready to become uncoupled. I wasn't ready. Uh, I saw in front of me a future that I yearned for and was excited about, and I just wasn't ready. And I think I can only speak from my experience. Um, Obviously, I can only ever speak from my experience, but every time a romantic relationship ends, I feel this deep sense of failure. Where did I go wrong? Where didn't I try hard enough? Where wasn't I patient? Where did my needs and my wants deter my partner? And in that sense of failure, there is deep shame. I wasn't up for the job. Somehow, I don't possess the skills that make a relationship work. Each time I enter a relationship, and so why can't I talk? Each time my my mouth is like, <laughs> keep it all in. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, each time I enter a relationship, I step into it ready. I mean, I am ready. And when I think of how I step into a relationship, I think of the quote by Roosevelt Theodore, the man in the arena. And so just to give you some context, the quote goes, and I quote, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, violently, valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So this is how I enter relationships. I'm like, let's go. I'm ready, right? Like, we're going to go for it. We're going to do this. Face marked by dust and sweat and blood erring, coming short again and again because there is not effort without error and shortcoming. But I spend myself in a worthy cause. I want to know that in the end, I want to know in the end the triumph of high achievement. I want to dare greatly. And so it's all very dramatic and it's all very romantic and it's all very like Shakespeare, right? And it's so much, it's so much. So when all this effort fails, damn, It takes me a moment to recover and I feel ashamed. But I have been diligently working on dismantling this shame and this feeling of failure. And so for the past six months, I've been diving deep and I have learned so, 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 so much. And my practice is deeply spiritual and it's different from other people's way of dealing with things. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, But after all the work that I've done so far to create this awareness and to uncover where all my demons come from, I do feel a lot stronger. This healing has very little to do with the actual breakup and everything else with all the other things that I was keeping in the dark. I mean, this has been truly an unpacking of so much more that was below the surface, right? The breakup was just a catalyst for everything else that I, that still needed to come up and heal. So what has come up for me over the past months, this deep healing, they're all things from my upbringing. I mean, there were old belief systems that I held that no longer serve me, fears that aren't real. And so now that I have worked through some of it, I can honestly say I feel a lot calmer. I actually feel a lot more open. I feel soft. I feel receptive. 
and I look forward to what is ahead. I'm looking forward to what's coming. I'm actually really stoked to see what more beauty is coming my way. But I know I still have a lot of work to do. I know that I can't afford not to take this time to heal fully. Because guys, I never want to be in this position again. Like I never, ever want to be in this position again. And I, I know, like I can't, I can't control it, you know, but the things that I can control, I'm going to try to at least make it so small of a chance that this can happen again. I truly believe that life will give you the same lessons over and over again until you learn. And so for me, I think the lesson here is to truly know that I'm okay, to know that I am strong enough to do this on my own, that people don't always leave, but I have to really settle into that truth and I have to learn how to feel safe and secure being alone. And even if I say that, even by saying that, there's this sense of like, uh, you know, like I totally know what it's like to be alone. I totally know what it's like. I mean, I've not just from my first experience with my first boyfriend, I know the loneliness that comes with abandonment very well. But by constantly pursuing love, the next relationship or a body, all I'm doing is keeping my mind occupied. I'm denying it. I'm covering it. I'm not looking at the core wound. And so this is why I decided to take a year off of dating and pursuing. I don't even want to give my mind the option to go there. Like I don't even want my mind to think that that like that is off the shelf. Nope. You can't even don't even go there. So it's like when I meet a cute boy, nope, don't even don't even obsess, right? Like he's beautiful. He's he's sweet. He's all the things. Not yet not yet. Take a moment, right? Like I, I'm not even letting my mind go there. I don't want to. And so I just don't want to obsess over the next thing, the next guy, the next relationship. And honestly, I mean, I still love my ex. <laughs> it doesn't love doesn't, doesn't just die. You don't just switch that off. You know, like I still deeply, truly love my ex. And I don't want to carry that baggage with me. I don't want to carry it with me. I, I'm going to need a moment. I don't want any overlap. And so knowing myself and how I am and how deep I'm willing to go once I enter into a relationship, it's also a personal choice for me not to have sex either. Um, I know I can't. I, I, I can't not want more. I would, I would constantly, I mean, I would, I wouldn't want more. When I've given that part of myself to someone, I want more. And so for me, sex is entirely sacred. It's sharing sharing that moment with someone for me in such a meaningless, casual way. I, I can't do it. And just thinking about it, I feel like part of my soul dying, you know, and so much power to people that can do that. But for me and knowing myself and only knowing my journey... I can't do that. And so I'm choosing not to do that. So I don't drive my mind crazy. And so I'm abstaining from getting into situations like that altogether. I just don't want to obsess. I don't want my mind to go there. I, I need to bench myself, right? Like I'm giving myself the red card and I'm saying, sit your ass down, girl. Sit your ass down. <laughs> sit down. Sit down. Not you. Not you. Not you. And you know... 
I mean, I do have to say disclaimer. I am also, I also don't like to, I've, I've learned enough to know that when you tell God what you do not want or what you do want, like you're gonna, you can't do that, right? Like you're not in control. You're not in control. And so although I am saying I'm taking a year off, I am also at the same time open to receive and open to open to possibility and open to knowing that I am not in control. So in A Course in Miracles, there's this beautiful quote that goes, you who can barely control your own life should hardly aspire to control the universe. So who am I? Who am I? You know, like I totally don't know what's going to come for me next. I am, I am deciding to take this year to kind of flush out and heal um, not just my last relationship, but everything else that I've been failing to heal so far so that when the next thing comes around, I know that I am going to be so, I don't want to say careful, but I'm going to, I will be so mindful and so aware of what I'm bringing to the table so that it can be the most beautiful thing, right? And if it isn't, if it fails yet again, then I learn again. I learn once more, right? So that's the beauty, I think, of life and of love is that we don't, we can't control. We can only choose to stay open to the experience. And there is no guarantee that by doing that, you're not going to be devastated. You're not going to be completely, I don't know, you know, you can't control it. You can't control it and you can't know. And so you just have to stand there open, receptive, willing. And however your course takes you, always constantly being brave enough to navigate it, knowing that you can do this, knowing that wherever life takes you is where you are supposed to be. You are exactly where you are meant to be. And so I'm going to end this podcast with a quote that I always come to. And it goes, God long ago drew a circle in the sand exactly around the space you are now standing. You were never not coming here. This was never not going to happen. And so may love always lead you where you are meant to be. See you on the flip side. (laughs) See you on the flip side. Yay. Well, let me know if you like Um, the podcast by subscribing, liking, rating it, um, sharing it with your friends. But guys, this is going to be an amazing journey. I can already tell and I'm so excited and I'm so grateful that you're choosing to listen to me and engage with me in this way. Technology is insane. So love you all. Love you all. Bye.